And so it begins. Good morning. Glad to have you here. Just a brief uh, announcements about your celebration guide. If you are a guest today, your first, second, or third time, please fill out the registration. Please rip it off and drop it in the offering plate when it comes around a little bit later. Um, this week, just to let you know, this is the Sunday that we have to have the graduating seniors, their pictures in by today. So you need to get that in to, if you don't have it already, to uh, Pastor Brian and he can take care of that. Uh, also, uh, on the back, just to let you know, VBS, Vacation Bible School is coming up uh, sooner rather than later. And Miss Carrie needs help. Uh, they're filling up with kids and uh, there's something to do for everyone. I mean, as I tell them, even if it's just crowd control, um, it really, they really do need people just to come and to, to be there and to help. So hope you'll be able to help us with that. Uh, let's, uh, a lot of our snowbirds are gone. They're leaving. I think we got two or three more today and that's about it, but, uh, they'll be back and, uh, either that or we'll see them in the rapture, one or the other. All right, let's stand. Welcome somebody around you to church. The kind that comes from the states, the kind that won't go away. When I turn around, they were right there to remind me. I've seen regret, the kind that messes with your head, the failures that they can't forget. I'm standing here now, I'm thanking God is behind me. Cause I've seen nail scarred hands reach out and wipe it. Staring at an empty grave 
speak your name, Father. We speak it boldly this morning, not only here at Gulf to Lake Church, but whenever we go to the grocery, whenever we go to the beach, whenever we go bowing, whenever we go golfing, Father, we speak the holy name, the powerful name of Jesus. 
The world needs to hear your name, Father. They need to know who you are, Father. Father, I just pray this morning, Lord, that we would be changed after coming here this morning. That our hearts would be different. Something would stir in us to act a different way, be a different way, treat others a different way. So, Father, we love you. We want to change, but somehow it's hard. So help us and give us the power. We ask it all in the precious name of Jesus as we offer up our gifts and tithes and offerings to you. Amen. Life isn't easy. We all have moments of struggle, hopelessness, and despair. The day-to-day -day can begin to take its toll. And before we know it, we're consumed, overwhelmed by stress, surrounded by fear, unable to see the light through the darkness. It's no wonder we lose our joy and forget what peace actually feels like. But there is a way, a way for hope to break through our walls, a way for our faith to be renewed, a way for comfort to surround us. We can once again feel the light shine brightly on our face. We can experience the warmth of God's love and watch the darkness be overcome. For it's in the light of Jesus we find peace. Though the seas are raging, you will. 
Father, this morning we thank you that you're in control of all things. And Father, this morning as the word goes out, God, I pray you speak through our pastor. Encourage us through him. For we know that your word is lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And your word is what instructs us, corrects us, rebukes us, guides us, leads us. So God, this morning as he speaks to us, May our hearts be open to receive the things that we, want, that we don't want to hear. Father, but to receive the things also, God, that you have for us to encourage us to get us through the Monday through Friday, to get us through the mundane, to get us through our lives. And Father, so that you will in turn use us for your kingdom. Use our pastor, bless him this time. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. This is one of those sermons that after preparing it and rehearsing it a few times and even after the first service preaching it, I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> uh, we, we go through that, you know, we go through that. Um, because it, it's, usually that means it's way more personal to me and I'm hoping that, that you will catch the gist of what I'm wanting to say because uh, we are going to be talking about um, following Jesus. The whole series is he must increase in following Jesus. And, and we're going to be talking about following him in the messes of life. There's a lot of messes in life. And a lot of us in this room right now, we all are dealing with a different kind of a mess. But usually we all have one. I thought it was very interesting and a good way to introduce this to you today that... Um, in 1947, two years after the end of World War II, and after we had dropped the bombs in Japan and ended, started the ending of the war, in 47, there was a group, some of you are old enough to remember the names that I'm going to say, probably many of you are not, but there was um, a group of the Chicago Atomic Scientists. It was lit, uh, formerly known as the Manhattan Project, I don't know if you know that. But they started something called a doomsday clock. And you can, you can Google this today. If you want to go home and Google doomsday clock, you'll see a lot of different sites pop up that you can read about it. And what they did was they looked every, every year, they look at the world situation and they try to determine using a clock where midnight is the end. That's where there's a disaster or something happens to end the world. And so they, um, again, using that as their, their guide, they then try to predict, well, how close are we to midnight at the time? One week ago, one week ago, they set the clock at 90 seconds till midnight. And the reason that they said they did that, the criteria was, one, nuclear proliferation that it's not two or three or four countries. There are many, many countries now that, that have nuclear uh, weapons. The other one was that they are, they are now so uh, sophisticated that a, a suitcase, a small suitcase with nuclear capability could destroy an entire city the size of New York or Chicago with one blast. They added to that two things. They said the hatred 
that they see going on in the world, hatred. And then the other one was the evil that they see going on in the world. And that all, and you say, why are you telling us this? Because the last thing they said was, this world is in a mess. And I'm thinking, well, this is not uh, Christian. This is not biblical. These people are secular. And they, they probably don't even believe in Jesus Christ. And they are sensing that there's something going on. And that we're in a bunch of messes, you know, in, in this country. And we, we could spend a lot of time, we're not going to do that, naming them all. Because I want to get today to the encouraging uh, thing about being in the messes of life. Now, a lot of us, we, we're just kind of walking along, minding our own business, taking care of our stuff. We're not, we're not looking for a mess. We don't want a mess. We got enough mess already going on, you know, in our life. And then before you know it, something hits you and it's like, what is this? You ever had that? How did I get here? That is, I think, over the last seven or eight years, that's, been the, that's probably been the phrase I've used more than anything. How did I get here like this? Um, it, it could be a family mess that some of you are dealing with. I mean, something dynamic where bitterness is growing and there's unforgiveness and there's arguing back and forth and it gets worse and it, it gets worse and you think, how did we get, you look at each other, how did we get like this? We're not hardly talking anymore. We don't even hardly acknowledge each other anymore. How did it get to this place? Or like we sang in the song for, for people, it's addiction. You know, I, I had three different situations this week of dealing with this with folks with addiction. And it, it all started out so simple in their life, according to them, wasn't much of a problem. In fact, a lot of it was fun to begin with, but then it eventually became a big problem. And now they don't, of course, they said they didn't want to admit it for a long time. And they actually, without saying these exact words, looked at me and said things like, I don't know how I got here. How did I get th this bad with what I'm dealing with? Or it might be finances. I mean, you might be in a mess there, no matter how hard you try or you listen to Dave Ramsey and you try to get a budget plan going, you try to pull things together, but it's just a mess. Or it could be something else. I want to encourage you today with what I believe is some of the most encouraging stuff in the Bible about Jesus and about the messes in our life. I'm hoping that you made the connection by the time we're done also. And I want to do that by having you turn to the book of Revelation. Uh, of all books, the book of Revelation, um, and go to the, of course, if you don't know where that's at, it's the last book in the Bible. Most people don't have trouble with that. And most people, when they hear the word revelation, they think, oh man, you know, that, that's a scary book. I mean, that's like the end of the world stuff. You know, that's apocalyptic and it kind of freaks me out. But do you realize that revelation was actually written to encourage us? It was written to a group of, of Christians uh, a little over 2,000 years ago who originally uh, they were struggling with not only persecution, but the cultural things that we're dealing with today. I could name them. And they were actually dealing with the same things that you and I are dealing with today. Um, culturally, things were an absolute mess. They were being persecuted. 
they had lost nearly all their leaders. And this I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Paul had been killed when this was written. Peter had been killed when this was written. John, the beloved disciple that wrote, For God so loved the world. He's been exiled to an island called Patmos. So Christians are kind of really going through a hard season historically and culturally at this time. And they're wondering who's in charge, who's in control. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I have felt that way. I know who's in charge and I know who's in control. But when the messes of life first hit me, you you start to kind of doubt that. Folks, it's kind of like, have you ever been on a road? Uh, I remember, and th- I think this was 75, and I was going to a place called Bridger National Forest in Wyoming, uh, camping. And um, there's a place there called Green River Lakes that, where the Green River starts, uh, Square Top Mountain, a beautiful, beautiful place. And the road to get there was, um, as you can imagine, was not a paved road. And they would tell you when you began that for the next 30 miles that you needed to be careful what rut you got in. Um, And I don't know if any of you have ever been on the Alaskan Highway. I've never been on the Alaskan Highway. Um, Never been to Alaska yet. But I understand that on the Alaskan Highway, that right when you get ready to get on it, that they have a sign that says, choose your rut carefully because you'll be in it the next 300 miles. And I imagine there's probably uh, truth to that. But that's where this early church was. And they had been going through years and years and years of ruts in their life. And it, it really was an absolute mess. And they really did not understand what they were going through at the time. So let's pick this up in Revelation 1.1 and just begin there. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. So the first thing we see in this book of Revelation, that more than just being a scary book about the future, who is the book of Revelation about? Jesus Christ. It is from him and it is about him. Now, as we've been in this little series on following the Lord, folks, understand that when you read the biographies uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of who Jesus is, you get this picture, and all of us in this room probably have a fairly similar picture in our mind of who Jesus is. We get Jesus and his humility. We get the fact that he said, I came as a servant. Um, And by the way, You know what I think is the number one emotion that Jesus shows throughout the entire Gospels? I believe it's compassion. I really do, compassion in every way. Um, But folks, there is another side of Jesus that we also need to understand that is a part of who he is, and that is this. We need to see Jesus also in his glory and in his power. More about that later. So in Revelation 1, you get this picture, a bigger picture of who Jesus is. Yes, he is a humble, loving servant, but he is also a conquering warrior. And people don't want to accept that today, but he is going to be just that. And the reason that I think that is so significant and encouraging is that sometimes 
when I'm going through a mess in my life, I need to kind of step back and recalibrate my perception of who Jesus is. Who is this man that's saying, follow me? And he's not always some lowly servant. Sometimes he is that warrior that, that is asking me to follow him into battle. So the first thing that, that I want you to write down is this. If I had to give you one thing of what is the meaning of the book of Revelation, and maybe the whole Bible, it's this. Jesus wins. He wins. We could really say that's it and go home. And, and, and here's the thing. Are you listening to this? Through faith, we share in his victory. In every single aspect, we share in his victory. So the first thing I want you to write, or second thing to write down, first big point is this. Recognize the real Jesus. Recognize that, yes, he's loving. Yes, he's humble. Yes, he's kind. Yes, he died for our sin. But folks, that is all in the past, and he is now a conquering Savior. And he's come, well, I'm getting ahead of myself about a king. I'll tell you more in a minute. If you look at TV and you look at the different movies, there's a lot of perceptions about Jesus. The one thing, um, and, and as you all know, you know by now, I'm not a moviegoer, never have been a moviegoer. But the, in fact, the last movie that I went to to show you was The Passion of Christ. I had to see that. And that is now the image that I cannot get out of my mind. When I, when I, when I picture Jesus, I, I picture that guy... Uh, is it Jim Cav something Cavazel or something like that? Who? Cavizel. That's who I picture, and I picture, of course, the passion and all that he went through. It's hard to get that out of my mind. But here's here's what the rest of the world. A lot of them see Jesus, and they remember uh, there was a film that came out. It was a cult film. I don't know if you remember called Dogma, that came out many many years ago. You can of course do Google that too. But they, they made Jesus out to be your buddy. In fact, they called him Buddy Christ. If you go there, that's what they'll, they'll, they'll call him. Jesus was like a genie that, you know, that you could get whatever you wanted. He answered all your prayers in the affirmative. Um, he's not going to demand anything of you. And if you were on Facebook with him, then he'll like everything that you do and everything that you post. There, there, there's this uh, show called South Park. Uh -huh. where Jesus was hosting his own TV show. Some people remember that. Or Kanye West, you know, sings about Jesus working with and walking with rappers and drug dealers and strippers. Carrie Underwood, she sings about Jesus taking the wheel. Remember that? And then there's, some of you don't remember this, but there was a group called the Doobie Brothers. Jesus is all right with me. Y'all remember that? So I'm just saying there's a lot of perception out there but Revelation gives us the bigger, truer picture that we need to be taking into our heart and our mind when it comes to who Jesus is and who is this man that's saying, follow me. We need to know who he is. Re Revelation 1.4, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead. Now, that doesn't mean first chronologically. It means first in preeminence, okay? Now, 
and I'm glad that the next slide was all by itself because that's what I want to focus on. And he is the ruler of all the kings of the world. Isn't that great? He's the ruler of all the, listen, of all the titles in, of Jesus in the Bible. I think to me this might be one of the coolest, that he is the ruler of the kings of the world. Here's why that is so significant. In those days, there was a totally different view of a king than we have today. It just fit. I mean, the Lord just worked this thing out to where yesterday was that coronation of a king over in England. Now, I didn't watch it, and I have no interest in that stuff. Number one, I'm not going to bow down to anybody but Jesus, you know, in any way or form whatsoever. But, I, you know, the pomp and the circumstance and all that and a new king and a new queen. But it's just a figurehead. But not, in the, not when Revelation was written. It, when you were a king in those days, you dominated every aspect of society. You, you, you dominated the financial regulations, all the taxes, if there was any press or media, the arts, the politics, army, war, it all went back to the king. He had absolute power. And that is why it is significant that when Jesus comes along and is introduced in the book of Revelation, it is not just a king, but the ruler of all the kings of the world. They needed to hear that then, and we need to hear that now. I don't care who, name any of them, whether it's Biden or Putin or the guy over in North Korea or wherever, they are under the control of a sovereign God. He is the ruler. Now, he allows them to do what they're doing for his purpose, to bring about his purpose. But that is significant. All right. Um, again, Peter, Paul, Mary. No, not Mary. Peter, Paul, um, John. That'll date me too, won't it? But the Lord Jesus said, I'm still in charge. And, you know, when I started thinking about it, trying to apply it as I always do to today. I'm thinking, yeah, they lost Peter. They lost Paul. They, they, they lost John. You know, what about us today? And I think, well, you know, going even further back to the 1500s, you know, that, that um, how they must have felt when Luther and Wesley and Calvin and so many others around that Reformation, when they died off. And then they went into the dark ages. And then I'm thinking about the same thing when a few years later, when you had people like Charles Haddon Spurgeon and all those around him over in England and D.L. Moody, you know, here and Billy Sunday. Some of you never knew there was a guy named Billy Sunday, but he was quite a guy too. And then I was thinking, well, what about in my time? Billy Graham, you know, um, Adrian Rogers, now Charles Stanley. You know, the, the guys that, that we are looking up to and that I would, you know, look up to for stability, they're leaving. But, folks, we need to understand and remember that when we're struggling with this and we can't see how God's going to control it, he knows. And he's already got somebody else in mind that's going to be able to pick up the cross. Somebody wrote these words, not me. But, I, man, I want you to hear it. I want you to hang on to it because I think they're so powerful. When I read them this week, man, I had to get up out of my chair, you know, in my office and just put my fist up, you know, and say hallelujah to the Lord. Listen to this. This guy's talking about the times of his life going through a mess. He didn't call it a mess. He called it trouble. And he said this. He is my Lord and he rules my life. 
I serve him because his bond is love and his burden is light. His goal for me is abundant life. He will never leave me, never forsake me, never mislead me, and never forget me. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm lost, he's the way. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I'm hurt, he heals me. When I'm broken, he mends me. When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he's with me. He confronts me in every situation in my life. When I face death, he carries me home. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and in every way. He is God. He is faithful. He always was. He always is. He always will be unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. Isn't that great? That's what we have. That's the God that we have. Second thing to write down. Recognize the real Jesus. Number two, we get to, I've already said it, but share in his victory. thought a cute little illustration that I'd share to you by way of a story. One of those things, not, again, I'm not sure how it really related, except that it can cause a mess in your life. And, and we all, well, let me tell you the story, then I'll explain it. True story, the pastor that I was reading this week, true story. He had a boy, seven years old, named Ethan, came into his house with some kind of unexpected news. He said, Dad, I was in the driveway, and I accidentally threw a rock into the garage and it broke the back windshield of the minivan. So immediately he said he ran outside and sure enough, he had completely shattered the windshield to the minivan. Unbelievable, he said. How did you accidentally throw a rock into a garage and shatter the windshield? He said, well, dad, the truth is I was trying to throw a rock between your car and mom's car. And I threw it, but I missed. He said, well, the inner pastor in me was not willing up at this point. He said, I'm actually getting angrier and angrier as I'm standing there. And uh, he said, this was not in our budget. And this was not something that I wanted to spend all day getting fixed. So I said, are you serious? You threw a rock through the window of the minivan? So he said, I'm keying up this lecture. And he said, it's going to start with how hard it's going to be for him to pay all this off and what he's going to have to do around the house in order to pay it off. I mean, he said, you threw a rock through the windshield of my 2004 Honda minivan that I loved. So he said, I'm standing there processing all this. He said, and then I looked down, and he said, my boy had tears in his eyes. And he said, the tears started to run down his cheek, and his little chin is quivering. He knows I'm not happy, and he says, Dad, I guess I'm just no longer worthy to be part of the family. Oh, no, no, no. Don't owe. Wait till you hear the rest of the story. Don't owe. I knew you were going to owe. You know, the truth, the truth is this. When I was reading this, my first thought was, he's good. He's good. That was my first thought. But this pastor said, I didn't get it till later. He said, but in that moment, my heart just started breaking. And I said, son, you're so much more important than glass. Who cares? I'll pay to fix the glass. Everything's going to be fine. You're my boy. Don't just go on in and don't worry about it. And he said, later, it dawned on him, he was working me. He was working me. 
Even at seven, he was working him. Well, when I read that, I thought, well, I, I want to say that. So I got to incorporate that somehow. What can I do? And I thought, well, I guess my relationship with the Lord is that in many ways, I've thrown a rock and broken the glass. And I did it on purpose. And I've tried to uh, work him, you know, by acting tired, acting repentant, acting sorry. And sometimes when we're in the middle of a mess and everything just feels so wrong, we've got to remember, folks, that Jesus is the one who will make it right. He's like that father. He, his first inclination is to come to you and to hold you and to wipe the tears out of your eyes. We've got to hold on to that by faith, that that's the kind of Lord that we serve. Revelation 1, 5. All glory to him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Little quick confession. It, it has not always been easy for me to believe that God has forgiven me of everything. Okay? I, some of you may not identify with this. Thank God if you don't. If you, if you knew that from the beginning and it never crossed your mind... But it did. It has mine. Now, some of you in here right now, you probably think, yeah, I believe that God will forgive us. And you think he'll forgive everybody in this church right now if they ask him. And you may even believe that he'll forgive everybody on your row as you're looking up. And he, you may believe that he'll even forgive the person next to you. But a lot of us sometimes have trouble believing that he'll forgive us. Of everything we it keeps coming back and folks the, the real issue um, is do we really believe that God has forgiven us for everything I can tell you I spent the first few years of my Christian life and I was a believer I had asked Christ to come in I I knew what it meant but I evidently didn't really believe that he had totally forgiven me of everything. And the reason I know that is as a Christian counselor pointed it out to me that you're very performance oriented. And it was that it was God always up in the ante on you. Okay, you got a little church out in the country in Colorado and, and, and wow, big deal. You got 200 coming. What are you gonna do to get 300? And you got a nice building built. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do for me next? And it was all performance oriented. And I could tell you the whole long story of how that ended. It ended good. Thank God for that. But the challenge for me was understanding I'll never be good enough. I'll never be good enough. And I can't keep this up long term. And so it was then that I came to my senses and, and just gave it all to the Lord. And here's the great news. God not only set the price, God determined what the price was going to be for your sin, and then he paid it. All of it. He's the one that determined your value. Reminds me again that I can share in Jesus' victory, and it reminds me that I am not the sum total of my whole life, that that's not me, or I, that I am the sum total of my whole life, not just individual parts of it. 
And the reason I really like that is I started thinking about Noah. I started thinking about Abraham and Jacob and David and Paul and Peter. And we all know things about them. Some of them pretty bad. But when we think about them, that's not what we remember. And I thought, wait a minute, even God, even almighty God, when he talks about Noah, he said he was a man of righteousness and called him that even in the New Testament. Whenever he calls Abraham, he was a friend of God. He was the father of Israel in spite of his sin. Jacob, you know, he named him Israel. And even David, we all know what David did. And God said, that's a man after my own heart. And then we know about Paul. We know about Peter and all the things that they did. And God looks at their life. And here's what I'm saying. Let God look at your life. Not just that thing that you did way back there or yesterday that you have given over to him. Write it down. You are the sum total of all that God declares for you. Of all that God declares for you. Revelation 2.17, Jesus is writing to the church at Pergamum. And he says, to each of you, I will give a white stone and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Now, I don't know what your trans or your um, uh, commentary of your Bible may say about that. There's two that I believe are, 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 are both probably valid, but the one because of the context that I kind of lean before is the one that Charles Ryrie in my Ryrie study Bible talks about, and that, that is that they had a white stone that back then would represent when somebody won a victory. They didn't get a gold or a silver or a bronze medal, but they had this white stone, and they would carry that white stone around with them, and it would allow them to have privileges and maybe get in places they would not normally get into. And the point that they're making by bringing this up here is, he said, friends, we don't have to wait to receive a white stone in our life. You know why? Because we share in Jesus's victory. Everything that he gets, we get. Everything that God says about him, he says about us because we are in him. So you may be in a mess, but folks, listen, you're, you're, you're not undone in that mess because the Lord's got a hold of you and he's not going to let you go. Amen? I want you to write this down. Then I'm going to explain it best I can. Some of us are managing problems. Others of us are managing situations. And a lot of you older folks will understand when I explain this. The guy that wrote that was, was asked, well, what's the difference between managing a problem and managing a situation? And here's what he said. Are you healthy? Are your kids healthy? Then you don't have a problem if the answer is yes. You have a challenge. Does that make sense? We have a challenge. And so the Bible challenges us to see past the mess and the pain that that mess is causing in our life right now and put our hope in the return of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1-7 says, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him 
even those that pierced him, those that crucified him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. So Revelation directs our attention to say, look, Jesus is coming again. So we need to live with that, that sense of hope. But folks, listen, when he came the first time, he did come as a little baby in a manger. And he did live a humble servant life. But when he comes again, he's going to be a conquering king. When he came the first time, it was really in obscurity. But when he comes again, every eye is going to see him, it says. When he came the first time, it was to be the savior of our sins. But when he comes again, it's to be king of kings and lord of lords. At his first coming, he was humble and as meek. But in the next one, it's going to be a conquering warrior who's fighting. At his first coming, he rode into Jerusalem on a simple donkey. When he comes again, it says it's going to be on a white horse to bring judgment and justice and peace to the world. And he will set all things right. Everything that you see, when we see all these politicians, all these government people, all these people getting away literally with crime, and we see all the sin and all the thing that's going on in this world, it is going to come to an end. God is going to take care of it. And really for us, the sad thing is for me is when I realize that those people who don't know the Lord are going to spend eternity, eternity in a place of torment that they can never get out of ever for any reason. And that ought to give us some compassion to want to pray for them. And trust that the Lord can maybe work in their life. And they could come to know him as their savior. You know, some things happened in my life. I don't know that you call them messes. They, they seem like it at the time. <clears throat> but um, I just, I, for years as a pastor, and I think we all do this as pastors. We, we, we try to make things more complex than they really are. We have to be really careful about that. September of 1971, Thursday afternoon, my dad was sitting out under the oak tree having his usual afternoon coffee. He had just retired. He was only 61 years old. And um, he was talking, he'd been having problems with his heart, angina, really bad. And he said, I've got to go in. So he went in and he laid down in his bed and it wasn't a couple of hours till I guess it really was severe. I was 20 years old, young man. And he said, Lord, you, you got to help me. I need to go to the bathroom. You got to help me. And so I got him up and, you know, and I'm holding him. We're standing up together, going across the hall, the little bathroom. And while we're standing there, he had a massive heart attack. And he went down and we called the ambulance. The ambulance came. They took him to Citrus Memorial. And then he died there in the hospital. And I, I was not a Christian. I was not a believer at that time. Um, and I hit my knees, not in prayer, but in sorrow. It took a long time to get over what all that meant. And then on Wednesday afternoon, June 28th of the year 2000, I met our church office, which was across, way across through Metacrest on 486. Olson's had a house there and we, we were allowed to... Uh, 
use that as our office. And um, it was Wednesday afternoon. One of our members, Wayne Burns, who was still a commander with the sheriff's department, he came in with a, an advocate, a lady. I didn't know what she was there for at the time. And he said, Pastor, sit down a minute. I sat down. He said, um, there's been a real bad accident. Your mother was involved in it out in Beverly Hills. And I jumped up as if, Let, let's go. And he just said, no, sit down. Well, I knew what, what had gone on. Well, that gave me clarity to my life. Now for these 23 years, things have been getting clearer and clearer of what matters and what doesn't. How big your retirement is, your retirement account on your deathbed, irrelevant. Doesn't really matter. How passionately you pursued your hobby of golf or fishing or whatever it may be, not relevant. It comes down to this, loving God and loving your family and loving others. That's what it comes down to. So quit tr let's quit trying to make it more complex than it is. I just ask you right now, just slow down, take a deep breath, and even when it's messy, realize who Jesus is and who is the one that's saying, okay, even in this mess, follow me. You have a new identity. You can look forward to his return and he wins. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are grateful for your love for us. Thankful for the way that you move and the way you work in our lives. I, I, I pray that if you'll just comfort those today who are hurting by the mess and those that are walking through a really messy time in their life that you'll just lift them by your power and your love and your kindness for them and Lord for those of us who are in a season in our life where we really need hope make it evident to us today we pray for your blessing and your protection we trust you we thank you that you're the ruler of the kings of the world. We look to you. Now would you pray in your heart. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon. Enjoy this beautiful weather. The humidity is coming.